Okay, so, got a, um, a lot of stuff we're going to go over tonight. Um, I did want to mention ahead of time that um, the, so this, this next few weeks on Sundays, I'm going to be uh, speaking about some of the things that we've talked about the last couple of Wednesday nights, but, but really some of the side issues. Um, I'm going to talk about this weekend coming up. I'm going to talk about how, uh, what God says to us about being worried, fear, afraid, that kind of thing. And then um, over the next couple of weeks after that, I'm going to talk about, um, well, I'm going to have a different one in there and then skip a week. But then I'm going to do uh, Ezekiel 38, 37, 38, 39, 40. Um, there's no way I can get all that done in one weekend, but I'm going to try to do it in two. Uh, we'll see what that looks like. And Because I keep getting the question, is what's happening in Israel right now, Battle of Gog and Magog? It is not. Um, here's how you do this. Uh, when something like that happens, depending on how your brain works, depending on how you process it, but, but um, maybe if you're a list person, maybe write a list of things, okay? Um, Hamas invades Israel. Okay. The reason I say it that way is because in the Battle of Gog and Magog, nobody invades. They come too, but they don't actually cross the border. So that would be one thing right there. You go, well, that can't be Gog and Magog, right? It could be some of the things like Psalms 83 or something. But, but that's where when you're looking at this stuff, when you're, when you're looking at, um, I had a very long conversation with a guy today about I mean, uh, just where he's at in life and how, a lot of end-time things and stuff like that. So he would ask me, uh, so are we, are, we, um, are we in the tribulation right now? The answer is no. Well, why do we know that? Because the Antichrist has not signed the peace treaty with Israel yet. So, you, so there's certain things you can go through Scripture and just go, okay, don't, don't, don't get caught up in the, all the people online that are prophesying everything you can possibly imagine about everything out there, okay? Um, Limit that stuff, guys. It's most of these people just like the they they like to be important for a week. It doesn't matter that next week it's going to be proven to be wrong. They just like to be important for a week. So, so just go to your Bible, and um, and and here's what I would do: is uh, Google whatever um, tribulation in Scripture. Now you're going to have opposing views to that. I get that. There's going to be different mentalities, but you're going to get basically the right stuff. And then just look at the details, okay? Um, uh, depending on how you look at the tribulation, pre-tribulation in Scripture. And then look at those, and, and then ask yourself, okay, have we been raptured yet? Ho- hopefully, you look in the mirror and know the answer to that question, right? Um, but, but you're having a conversation with somebody at work, and you're trying to figure some of this stuff out. So... So talk to them. Talk, I mean, get in Scripture. When you're talking to them, you're, you're coming from Scripture. Uh, what, are, what does this look like? What does this look like? What's going to happen here? Um, the building of the temple in the last days. In Scripture. Always say in Scripture when you're Googling. Okay, I found that out the hard way. I don't, I don't care what Uncle Fred thinks about this. I want to know what the Bible says about this. And so when you Google it, always put in Scripture uh, at the end of that. But 
But then look at the, the, the information. Read the verses, not what the commentary is. Forget all the commentary. In fact, don't read any of the commentary. Just read the scriptures. And when you go down the scriptures, you'll see this and this and this, and it tells me this. And, and, um, and so uh, have those conversations. I, I was having this conversation um, with my son today, so I'll tell you another thing I think is important. Um, so... Let me give you a little background. My, my son, my oldest son, he's a minister in Texas. And his natural reaction to things is um, whatever dad thought is probably the old man's idea of this. And there is probably a newer, fresher idea that dad has not figured out. And so I told him today, and by the way, if he was standing right here, he would not disagree with that statement. Okay. So I told him today, because he's studying some of this Revelation stuff and trying to figure out. I'm like, okay, I taught it all your life, but either way. So, so I said, here's my suggestion, is don't come into this with a preconceived idea of what you need to disprove to make you feel comfortable. Okay? And he said, what, what do you mean? I mean, he could tell by the way he said, what do you mean? He knew what I was mean. And I said, Jonathan, you know you have a tendency to lean against um, the, the, the way that I would naturally a- approach this stuff. You're right, Dad. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I won't, I won't approach it that way. Because he's trying to build this big study because people are asking questions. And, and he also, I think, well, he did tell me he was a little irritated that everybody is wanting to know about, you know, end times and, and Israel and all this kind of stuff. And I said, rather than be irritated, why don't you pastor them and just answer the questions? Just go to Scripture and answer the questions. Rather than try to say, well, we don't need to be talking about that right now. Well, the whole world is talking about it, so you might go ahead and get there, right? There are certain things in certain times and seasons when you, when you do need to do this. When, yeah, maybe you kind of already figured out in your spirit what it is, but when your neighbors or your friends at work are asking the questions, answer the questions. Don't tell them, well, that's not important. Don't worry about that stuff. What? That's what they are worried about. You can't, they, that ship's already sailed. Now answer the questions and try to, try to help people figure out where they are um, at the time. I did also want to mention the fact that uh, G's back with us and... and Strong and healthy, and God's doing stuff in her life. God has healed her, and uh, supernaturally just healed her, and uh, big, big kind of miracle stuff. You know, I hear people, well, we need more miracles. I agree with that, but we also have miracles. We need to acknowledge that, and, and God has healed her, so we need to acknowledge that. Now, um, with that... Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 9, and in going to Ezekiel 9, this is something I think is important. We're going to reference some things that, um, that we have been talking about in the, in the last couple chapters. Okay, we're going to go all the way back to chapter 1, and you'll see some of this. I think this is important when you're reading the book of Ezekiel. So Ezekiel 1 started out describing what? Anybody remember? The throne? The throne in heaven and, and all the different, uh, the angels that are coming to and fro and, and the uh, wheels that keep, that are moving this around, the uh, wheels that spin and all. 
all this stuff, okay? So Ezekiel, the, the Lord starts this off with Ezekiel, and he establishes the, the foundation of what Ezekiel needs to be thinking and, and seeing, visualizing, and understanding as he walks through this book, okay? This is where Ezekiel is, is, um, is a little different than, like, say, Daniel. Daniel, Daniel does build on things, and, and you keep coming back to the stories. Remember I said that um, same thing the way the book of Revelation works, by the way. This is interesting to me because most prophetic-type books work this way in Scripture, is they kind of circle like this, but then they come out, and then they circle back, and then they come out, and they circle back because there's, there's some establishment that we need to know. Well, Ezekiel is one of those that just circles constantly and coming back to the same things and coming back to the same things. Okay, so if, if anybody can remember, give me some of the details of Ezekiel 8. <clears throat> Comes to the temple. God takes Ezekiel in a vision to the temple. What's, what is the first thing Ezekiel sees? There's an idol in, uh, between the outer courts and the inner courts. Okay, that sets the stage. And then there's a hole in the wall, right? And, and God says, okay, dig into that hole. What is he telling us? I'm going to show you behind the curtain. I'm going to show you what's really going on inside the walls, quote, unquote, of the temple. Then he sees the, um, the how many elders facing east away from the Holy of Holies? Seventy? Twenty-five. Do I hear? Twenty-five. Okay. Twenty-five going once. Okay, so... All right. These are important things. Um, God, God takes Ezekiel through all this stuff, and he sees these things as he goes. <clears throat> 25. The 70 is the 70 leaders of Israel were standing uh, in the center where the walls were covered with the engravings and the animals and all that kind of stuff. You see the 70 elders, the 70 leaders standing there. Right? And then um, verse, what, 16, at the entrance of the sanctuary between the entry room and the bronze altar, there were about 25 men with their backs to the sanctuary of the Lord facing east. Okay? And it's interesting because that 25 is not as solid as the 70. It's about 25. Okay, now, now let's go to Ezekiel 9. And I've, I've, as I've tried to get to Ezekiel 9 over the last three weeks, um, this, is, this is important. I think Ezekiel 9 is the most important chapter in the whole Bible to uh, ministers, to churches, church leadership, and pastors. You would say, but wouldn't, the, um, wouldn't um, Paul's uh, instructions to Timothy, to pastors and church leaders specifically talks about uh, the church leadership, elders, deacons, those kind of things. Wouldn't that be more important? Um, I think... Strongly, no. Okay? And this is the reason I think we have to start and always keep Ezekiel 9 at the center of our heart. Then you can get to how it's done. You can get to the why you do this or how you do this. As a young guy, you do this. As a, you know, this is how you, you focus and this is how you look at, at board members and who the board members are supposed to be and what are the qualities of their life and stuff like that. 
But if we don't get to the basics of Ezekiel 9, which, which I believe, by the way, strongly, that the uh, church in America, we have lost touch with the reality of Ezekiel 9. We have so much walked away from the, this. Okay, and you'll, you'll see this as we unpack this. All right, so, so chapter 8 is all about the things behind the curtain, the sins, all the stuff going on, right? In the, in the temple with the leadership. And I think one of the biggest is the 25 people that are facing the opposite direction. They're not facing the Holy of Holies. They don't even care about the Holy of Holies. They are facing east and worshiping from the temple. They are worshiping the sun from the temple, inside the temple. Verse 1, then the Lord thundered. That means he's serious, right? Bring on the men appointed to punish the city. Tell them to bring their weapons with them. Six men soon appeared from the upper gate that faces north, each carrying a deadly weapon in his hand. With them was a man dressed in linen who carried a rider's case at his side. They all went into the temple courtyard and stood beside the bronze altar. Now, if they're standing beside the bronze altar in the courtyard... Where, how are they in relationship to the 25 guys in chapter 8? Let's, let's read that part again. Um, then he brought me into the inner courtyard of the Lord's temple and at the entrance to the sanctuary between the entry room and the bronze altar. There were about 25 men with their backs to the sanctuary of the Lord. They were facing east, bowing low to the ground, worshiping the sun. These guys... They all went into the temple courtyard and stood beside the bronze altar. Where are they in relationship to those 25 guys? They are standing beside the bronze altar behind the 25 guys. The 25 guys can't see them. They're facing east and they're worshiping the sun. I think this is so important. Let, let me bring it to any church setting at any time, but, but specifically to us right now, is I, I think, let me, let me say it in such the way that it is kind of written here so you get the visual for us. I think there's a good chance that Jesus could step into the, and we're the church. This is where you have to kind of build your own picture but the people are the church. But I think there is a possibility that Jesus could step right down into the middle of a church, figuratively, and the people not see him. Because they're facing something else. They're worshiping the sun. Okay, I'll give you a, since we're talking about the sun as in S-U-N, big light in the sky, I think this is an easy parallel for us. Um, I, I've literally been saying this for over 20 years now, that, that when this was first starting, when the whole environmental move and everything was first getting a, the most modern rendition going, that this was a religion. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a, a biological approach to society, the planet, any of that kind of stuff. It was a religion that was based upon worshiping Mother Earth or, depending on how you want to approach it, worshiping yourself. 
worshiping Mother Earth, making sure that we're going to take care of the planet. But when you have that in there, we're going to take care of the planet. That's also very narcissistic humanism. You're big enough to take care of God's planet. You're big enough. This is, this is a worship of the sun, S-U-N, instead of sun, S-O-N. This is a worship of Mother Earth rather than the Son of God. And you put yourself as, as the, um, the liaison between the God and the earth you're on, or the protector or the power that makes it happen. So you put yourself in the place of the Holy Spirit. I, I, from the beginning of this thing, to me it seemed pretty obvious and what happens when Jesus drops down in the church and we're spending all of our time and energy on humanitarian things <clears throat> or a definition of what we think is humanitarian, right? Um, then when you add things like the, the, the uh, LGBT and the grooming and all that kind of stuff, that's becoming so strong in our society and churches are just not standing up against it. They're it's become the opposite. They're embracing it because they're scared of what um, people will do. So when I say the church, I'm saying the leadership, the pastors. Um, and there's also leadership. It's not just the individual called the pastor. It depends on how the church structure is set up. But, um, but it can be a leadership group. It depends on how that leadership in that church works. But to say, well, well we, uh, we don't really want to bother people with this. I talked to a, well, I can tell you the story now. I couldn't tell you the story for a while because we didn't know how it was going to end up and we wanted to respect the people involved and they took that away from us. But the, the, um, the pride parade and festival that was in Castle Rock uh, quite a few months ago, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? And then the guys all showed up with their t-shirts, right? Okay. Well, so um, there's a guy that is, uh, he ran for state representative uh, in that area, in Castle Rock area last time. And, um, and he, he uh, sent a letter, a, a bank sponsored that. Okay, he sent some money and sponsored. So he sent a letter to the bank and said, I'm not okay with this. I'm considering pulling all my money out. And he has some different organizations and things that he works with. Uh, entities and things, and he's going to pull all of this out. This is a lot of money, he said, and I know um, uh, these 15 or 20 people, and he put them on a list. He said, I've already talked to them, and they're willing to pull their money out too unless you come talk to us. Well, the, the regional president of the bank came and met, and, and then he asked me to come up and join, and we met with this guy, and he was very contrite and very apologetic. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done this. This is not my own personal family values. Blah, blah, blah. And he says, I'm sorry about this. Um, whatever. He said, we've already sent a, a letter saying we, we um, did give you the money, but we don't sponsor this to, to that group. Okay. Um, which we don't know for sure if he did that or not. But he seemed very honest, seemed good about it. He said, but I have, when we talked to the national bank leaders, he said, I don't know what to do about this. And, and the, my friend with me, Bill Jack, he said, uh, well, if you could just the same way you did the sponsorship of this, just put it in the newspaper that you made a mistake and you do not sponsor this. This is not your values. And he said, well, I would do that, but I don't know if the leadership will do that. I'll take it to them. And I said, you know, you made the decision to sponsor it. 
Why can't you make the decision to unsponsor it? He said, it doesn't work that way. Now, I do believe the guy was pretty contrite. We just got an email back uh, this last week that the bank has decided that uh, they will not um, take a stand on this and that they believe that what they've done is consistent with their values and they don't want to talk about it. They literally said, we believe this is the last conversation we're going to have about this. And so um, now uh, it comes down to the groups pulling the money out and saying, okay, then you made a bad decision. When you go woke, you go broke. And America cannot seem to get that in their head. Um, Americans do. Americans are running this show. But people can't seem to get this in their head. So, so when, we're, when we're looking at these kind of, of events, these kind of things, can you take a stand? And what does that mean? You can take a stand. Businesses are concerned with what you think. Even big companies. Now, today, um, the UFC made an agreement with Bud Light that they're going to now cooperate together. And the UFC said that Bud Light is, has the same value system as they do. Okay. You goofed, UFC. You goofed. You shouldn't have done this. And America, it will speak again. I don't know how many of these it's going to take, but here's my thinking. Shut them all down. That really is the way I look at this. You, you be stupid like that, we'll shut you down, and I hope you go under. Until, until these companies figure it out. Because here's the reality. Most of the people working in those companies do not believe this way. It's being forced upon them by leadership. Well, it's the same concept with church thinking. We cannot take a stand. We can't take a stand. We're scared to death that we're going to offend somebody. It's the other way around. People are, are being offended by the lack of, of backbone in this church leadership mentality. When church leadership figures this out, and I, I, I am shouting this from the rooftops. I've mentioned this in the last few weeks. I'm having a lot more uh, opportunities to go around the whole state and speak to pastors, groups of pastors, 20, 30, 40 at a time, and, um, and talk to them about this stuff, being, what is, what is the, being woke. And I keep telling them, most, most churches and most pastors are struggling right now in attendance and finances. And I keep telling them, then maybe, just maybe, follow an example of like our church, which is not having those problems. And we haven't since COVID started we haven't, when all this other stuff comes out, we keep doing what you're doing and you will get the same results. Because people are, and I, and I said this to a group of pastors in Denver about three weeks ago. I said, it's simple. If you want people to keep coming to churches like mine, keep being woke. They will leave your church and they will go somewhere where somebody will speak truth to them. Now, the fact that these guys were at this event means they probably are not woke. That's reality. But I think some of these pastors are saying, I, th I think you're right. It's time I stop doing this. Time I just be. And, and this is what I always tell them. When you first were called to ministry, what did you want to be? What kind of pastor did you want to be? That's who you need to go back and be. When you, when you weren't smart enough to be scared. Right? 
when you weren't smart enough to worry about every single person and every little penny and everything, just preach the gospel. Love God with everything about you. Love people with everything about you and preach truth, and you'll be amazed. And, and he says this to Nicodemus in John 3. Um, if you'll lift up Jesus, he will draw people to him. Maybe not to your church, but he will draw people to him. And if you're preaching him and standing at the foot of the cross, your church locally will have some of the benefit of that. That's the closest we're ever going to have at Church of Barrogate is having a local church growth plan. Just stand real close to the cross and talk about Jesus. And then when everybody gathers around the cross, some of them are going to be inside the doors of your building. There's your church plan right there. Right, write that down. <laughs> right. Okay. They all went into the temple courtyard and stood beside the bronze altar. Then the glory of God, of the God of Israel, rose up between the cherubim where it had rested and moved to the entrance of the temple. The, 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 the spirit of the glory of God rises up behind these 25 guys and moved to the entrance of the temple. And the Lord called to the man dressed in linen who was carrying the writer's case. He said to him, Walk through the streets of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of all who weep and sigh because of the detestable sins being committed in their city. Does anybody have a different translation on them right now than the new living? I could, I could do this, but I'm holding a microphone. Um, what, what, what translation do you have? Tree of Life. Tree of Life? Okay. Read, uh, read verse 4. Yeah, get, grab that mic and read verse 4. Uh, see, if the yellow button's on, it's off. Adonai said to Test. It's not your fault. Test, test. Adonai said to him, go throughout the city, through the midst of Jerusalem. Make a mark on the foreheads of the people who sigh and moan over all the abominations that are committed in it. Okay. Sigh and moan. We've got sigh and weep here. Detestable sins and abominations. Um, who's got a different translation? Teresa, what do you have? Is that Teresa? We'll let you read the devil's Bible. Just kidding. I No, I've heard that. <laughs> Go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads and those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. Grieve and lament. Okay. The, the, the reason, okay, who's got another translation? Mike, what do you have? King James. The one Jesus read out of. Go ahead. <laughs> and the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the forehead of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations to be done in the midst thereof. Okay. So you guys seeing uh, um, kind of the building of this. Sigh and weep is good, but if you understand that, 
in that context. Grieve and lament. Uh, you keep building on these things. This is pretty serious to God. By the way, that's one of the ways you study right there is you get different translations. You can do that quickly in your computer. You can do that quickly online. You don't have to have all these things. Years ago, when this stuff, when I first got ministry, you had to have like books for each of those things I just did. You had to have all the separate Bibles and all that. Now you can just click on your computer, boom, boom, boom. Okay? But we can see that this is pretty serious to God, that we are grieving that we are lamenting, we are weeping, we are groaning, we are sighing because of what? The detestable sins, the abominations that are being done in their city. See, this is where, this is where I think we are, um, as a society in general, but then as a church also, what we do is we, we uh, separate in our minds the difference between us not sinning as opposed to what is actually talked about here is that sin itself is, is grieving your spirit. Not just you don't sin, but the sin grieves you. The fact that this sin is around you, the fact that this sin is, is happening in your city, the fact that this sin is happening in your state. Um, you, you know, I, I strongly stand against abortion. Strongly. It's, it's murder. It doesn't, and there's no caveat. If anybody ever says to you, I, I stand against abortion, except in the cases, it doesn't matter what they say after that. They don't really stand against abortion. Because what they're saying is, I believe you should not murder babies unless. Now, what follows unless there that's okay? Right? But there's a difference between me saying, I don't agree with it, and it grieves me to the point I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to do something. I'm going to engage in it. This is in the, in the fight. Um, this is something that I think is, is easy for parents to, to get caught up in is, yes, I think those things are horrible, but my kids are probably not involved in that stuff. All right? Here is, here is some revelation to you, okay? This is one of the conversations I've had with parents over the years. They come in and they're talking about like their six or seven year old kid. And they say, well, we don't really talk about, you know, sexuality or anything like that. And, and my child really doesn't know about that stuff yet. And here's what I've tried to explain to hundreds of parents over the years. Uh, your kid already knows more than you do. They, they understand this stuff. Now, they don't get it on an on a intimacy level, God level, spiritual level, all that kind of stuff, but they know all this stuff. We, we trick ourselves into thinking that they don't. This is, this is the difference between these things grieving my spirit and, well, our family's just not involved. This doesn't affect us. The reason that it is becoming not just out there, but it's come all the way into our schools and all the way into our homes, and it's encroaching on our kids. And we've got seven-year-old kids coming home from school saying um, they're a girl, now they're a boy, or they were a boy, now they're a girl. The reason we're having that is because we, didn't, we weren't grieved by the sin and, and stopped it way out there. We didn't stop it at the gate kind of thinking. And it's come right into the middle of the house. And the, the way this is talking, 
that we'll see is going to go into this even more. It, it, it was just out there. Now it's come all the way into the temple, and it's in the middle of the temple. And these subjects used to be out there, and now they've come into the church, and they're in the middle of the church. I have this conversation with people all the time. I just had this conversation two weeks ago with a uh, guy that used to be on staff at a mega church here in town and, um, and left because they will not take a stand. He's got kids, little kids, and they will not take a stand against the grooming and the LGBT stuff. And he said, I can't do it anymore. And I, so I'm asking, tell me the exact things not just, I feel this, but give me exact examples. And he did. This was asked to the ministers. This was asked to leadership. The kids sell this in the children's church, all these kind of things. And he said, it got to a point where I couldn't be on staff there anymore. Guys, this, is, this has come into the temple. This stuff is in the temple. I'll give you, I don't know how much I should... I'll give you one that I saw. I figured this out 25 years ago. And I didn't understand it to the depth of what it was. But even 25 years ago, that one of the things that was becoming so uh, common within certain ranks within ministry was uh, there, there is a, a homosexual tendency that you will find most of the time in the worship pastors of the church. I know some of you are like, yeah, I, I could tell. But that's a reality. And, and I saw this 25 years ago, even a little bit more than 27 years ago, first time I ever saw it. And I thought, I can't accept this. I just can't accept this. And I've seen it. I've seen it now so often. Th this is why something simple like us trying to hire a worship pastor here, it's not as easy as you think. That is the most... The worship pastor is the place in the church that is most likely to have the problems in it. Part of the reason is because worship people are artsy, right? Uh, they're divas. I know that because I'm a musician. I, I'm not this way nowadays, but years ago, if I'm playing an instrument, somebody's like, hey, can you move over to this instrument? I'm like, why? I'm not good enough? You don't like me? The, you think I'm ugly? Why are you talking to me like this? I mean... That's how musicians are. And singers are worse. I say that because I'm a musician, my wife's a singer. So, but, but here's the thing with this is this is where your problems are going to start the most. And part of the thing is Satan likes to mess with everybody in the church about worship. That's where Satan will come in and try to mess with, with the church. And so we take our time with this. We've had, we've had great worship pastors in the past. Shelby did an amazing job. Sam did an amazing job. Linda's doing a great job. I would like her to stay on for a while. But, uh, but we're, 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 uh, we are looking for a worship pastor, but we, we want to make sure we get the right person. I mean, it's the same with everything, but, we, but I don't know how to explain it. You, you've got to ask a lot more questions. We've already put on our job posting into all the different places all over the country. We've put it. We've put our job posting in such a way that we will, um, we will um, cut out about 85 to 90% of the worship pastors. Do you know that? I'll tell you how in a second. Armando, do you raise your hand? Yeah, and actually now 
And um, a lot of those worship pastors of which you were talking about, they are now head pastors of churches around the U.S. today. And actually, just recently, I saw a study um, not just in Pentecostal-type churches, but also Catholic-based churches where the pastors are openly homosexual. Yeah, that is that has been an increasing problem for a while. Um, usually your worship pastors don't become lead pastors, your youth pastors do. Just telling you kind of the, the trend. Worship pastors, and you guys are not going to trust the worship pastor when we hire them if I tell you all this stuff. Um, the worship pastors are much more flighty than, than other pastors in the church like the associate or the youth pastor stuff. Youth pastors usually make great pastors long-term because they have to deal with teenagers. And then all of a sudden, the teenage, they, you know, they just kind of move into an older crowd that is just as immature as teenagers. So, hey, it's just the truth, buddy. So, <clears throat> but yeah, we're seeing this kind of stuff. It's in the church. The stuff that we used to talk about out there, it's in the church. It is the church. It's not in the church. It is. It's become the church. And, um, and so let's keep reading. Read uh, verse 14 again. Walk through the streets of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of all who weep and sigh because of the detestable sins being committed in their city. So who is putting the mark on their forehead? Yes, this angel from the Lord. Okay? Now, this is, this is important because um, in the last days, Satan is going to have... The Messiah, his Messiah, the false Messiah, we refer to him as the Antichrist, but there is going, he is going to be perceived as to be the Messiah of the Muslim people specifically and the Savior of the world. This, this is important. This, this is what the Antichrist does at the three-and-a-half-year mark in the temple. The abomination of desolation or desecration, both of those words are used, that moment is when the Antichrist declares himself to be God. So then God, the Messiah, will have one of his guys, we call him the probably the false prophet, he's going to have his guy, the false prophet, Go and put a mark on the foreheads of all the people who are standing with the Messiah for the Messiah's plan for the world. And where is he going to quote from? Ezekiel. This is God's mark on the forehead of all of those who detest sin. Now, what will sin be? I saw this in the house this last session. The, the, the terminology is constantly be trying to work, reworked and re-changed uh, uh, until it's reworded into such a point where now, if you don't take care of the planet, that's a sin. That's a sin. Here's a big one that you heard, but it, it, it was part of a quickly developed thing. It will become more and more strong over time. But it is a sin. You are putting people's lives in danger if you don't get the vaccine. You are sinning against humanity. 
So now we need the mark on the forehead of, or the hand of the true followers of the true Messiah. And we know that's the mark of the beast. But it's going to be very strong. It's going to be very easily proved by the Antichrist because he will be the Messiah. Anybody ever heard of the 12th Imam, who the 12th Imam is? Okay. Uh, the 12th Imam is the guy that, that um, Muhammad, well, Allah uses to verbalize Muhammad and Islam to the world to set up, to pave the way for the um, Messiah, the Islamic Messiah. We have a similar thing. It's called John the Baptist and Jesus, right? The 12th Imam is John the Baptist and their Messiah uh, is who we call the Antichrist. And he's going to make sure there's a mark that you have to give your soul, give yourself to the Antichrist because he just declared himself to be God. And you have to give yourself to the Antichrist. Now, this is something I think is important because I, I hear this constantly. Well, there's, there's going to be a lot of deception and they're going to trick you into the mark. You cannot be tricked you can be deceived because you have attested to the system. You have plugged into that system. You are part of the spirit of Antichrist. I'll give you a couple of quick examples. If you think abortion is okay, and you think the LGBT mentality is okay, and you think grooming is okay, and you think all of this stuff coming out of Washington with the, with the vaccines and everything else is okay, then guess what? You're going to think the next step is okay too, and you're going to think the next step is okay, and the next step is okay until there is a point where you're taking the mark of the beast because it's okay. Is that deception? No. Scripture says that in the last days they will believe a lie. In other words, they know it's a lie. Most people, and I, I think the most includes everything to, except a small 1% or 2% in our country, know that a male is a male and a female is a female. We know that. Everybody knows that. But we play the stupid word games and mind games because we're pressured and forced into a corner that there's something wrong with you. I get, I get newspaper articles written about me all the time. I've had two and one TV thing just in the last three days that are saying all this stuff, that I, that I hate homosexuals, that I misgender all these people. Why? Because I'm not going to buy into the lie. And if you're a dude, I'm not going to call you a girl because that makes me a liar, and I'm not. So then what happens? Well, you're misgendering, and you hate, and you are... Because, because we force, force, force. Why? Because the more we do that, the less people will stand up against sin. And we won't be grieved by sin. We'll eventually begin to embrace it. And we'll get to the point where not only are we embracing sin, but then it becomes the law. Then it becomes illegal to disagree with it. And then you will be put in jail for disagreeing with it. And that is what sin does. It's what darkness and evil do. Guys, we, we have to, as a, as, a, as a people, we have to see this stuff and stand up to it. Now, the good thing, a lot of the transgender stuff 
is really being stood up against in our society now. It's get, the last couple of years, we're getting more and more and more to where a lot of people are just saying, no, this is stupid. How do we know that? Bud Light. That's how you know that. Okay? It's, it's happening. It's, it's kind of come lately kind of mentality, but better late than never, right? Encourage people. Encourage them to just to speak truth. If you know it's truth, speak it. But what if I know? If you know it's truth, speak it. But my neighbor will get mad. But if you know it's truth, speak it. Because when you speak truth, there is a spiritual um, push against the darkness that happens. And when you speak truth, it's easier for someone else to speak truth. To speak truth. We, you know, common sense. The Holy Spirit is called the con- our conscience in Scripture. Let, let your common sense conscience help you speak truth. When you know it's wrong, acknowledge it. You don't have to like put it on a placard board and wear it around the mall or something, but, but, but speak truth. He says, then I heard the Lord say to the other men, follow him through the city. Now, there's six guys and then the guy with the rider. So these other six guys, he says, follow him, the rider, the guy putting the mark on the heads, follow him through the city and kill everyone whose forehead is not marked. Show no mercy, have no pity. But, but this is God, God's, God's love. What about that? God is just. See, this is the thing. You can't have true love unless you have just Yes. You have to, to have true love, there has to be justice. You, you've seen this. We all know this as an example. But a parent that just lets their kid do whatever, Scripture says that parent doesn't really love that kid. When parents tell their children no, Scripture says that shows that they love their children because God tells his children no because he loves them. Think, think about the, the concept of Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus dying on the cross gives us grace and gives us forgiveness and all the stuff I preached three weeks ago. But, but here's part of that story too. The fact that Jesus dies on the cross is God saying there is sin, you will be accountable to it, you better stop. Now let me send Jesus to give you his blood to cover you, to make you right, so you stop. Because if you don't stop, there is judgment for your sins. We, we kind of leave that out of the story sometimes. The, the, the only reason Jesus dies on the cross is because we are separated from God by sin. You, me, we are separated by God from God by sin, and God is not okay with that. And we take that out of the story, and we say, well, Jesus just loves you and wants you to to have a relationship with him. You know what relationship with him starts with? I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. That's what it starts with. Repentance, and then uh, there is forgiveness. Okay? Keep that kid quiet. We are doing something here. <laughs> so, <laughs> kill them all, old and young, girls and women and little children. But, but do not touch anyone with the mark. Who are the people with the mark? 
the grievers over sin. You get the mark when you are grieving over sin, when you are not okay, when you are disgusted by sin. Lynn and I have uh, been, we, you guys have heard of, uh, how, what's the right way to say it? Vid Angel? Um, I, I always call it Vidongle, but um, you guys heard of VidAngel? You guys, anybody not know what VidAngel is? Okay, so what VidAngel is, is you get a subscription to VidAngel just like you do YouTube, okay? In fact, their logo is YouTube but blue with a halo, all right? And what, it, what they do is they take TV shows or movies or whatever you want to watch, and they edit them. So no language, no nudity, any of that kind of stuff. Well, we were watching one a couple days ago, and I didn't know this show had anything. We've been watching it on Vidongle for a long time, and, um, and all of a sudden they're talking and then, and then you go to another scene and then these two people start kissing and then go to another scene. And I'm like, I'm missing half the movie. What is going on here? But it's because they're editing all the stuff out, which I want, right? But, but here's a, an entire company has said, we're not okay. We're disgusted by the sin. We're going to cut all that stuff out. Some shows are like five minutes long now, but... And you don't get anything. You're like, hey, good to see. And then, you, and then all of a sudden you get sound again. But, uh, but guys, at what point are we disgusted by the sin? At what point are we disgusted by the sin? I've been saying this so long, I can't even remember when I started saying this. We'll sit in movie theaters and watch naked people and be okay with it. I don't, I don't understand that. Let me help the, the, the guys in the room to understand. Or I'm sorry, let me help the women in the room to understand. Those guys are, will remember that, whether they want to or not. God has hardwired them that way. They will remember those visuals, and those visuals will come back into their mind when you do not want them to. That's truth. When you do not want them to. And it'll stick in your head forever. I, I've talked about this before. I've never, ever uh, connected with pornography. I've always been scared to death that it would grab onto me and hold me. And I've never messed with pornography. When I was on a playground, uh, some kids walked up with a magazine and opened the magazine. And I remember that picture to this day. I can't get it out of my head. Um, Pastor? Teresa. Yeah, that hallmark. I've never trusted them. And, and Lifetime? No. Is it Lifetime? Yeah, Disney's horrible. Disney is. Disney led the way 30 years ago with this stuff. Um, grooming and all this kind of stuff. So, um, so this is where, when, when, do we just, when do we just get disgusted by sin? He says, the, the, kill everybody except... Um, the, one with the, the ones with the mark on their heads. Verse 6, but do not touch anyone with the mark. And here's the key. Begin right here at the temple. Begin right here at the temple. And, and the way most people think about church thinking is, 
all the sinners are out there, and you come into the church, and you're getting closer to non-sinners. And then when you get really close to somebody like me, I'm the epitome of nonsense because I'm the pastor. I mean, I grew up thinking that way. The pastor was, he was, was like God, and then right below him was the pastor. And way down there were board members. The, uh, the, that was the, I am just, that's the way I saw it. That's the way I saw it when I was growing up. I can't control that. But th- this is one of the things that I have been very intentional about over all of my years of ministry. Very, very intentional. This is not accident is I don't, I am going to work at being very transparent and telling you the, the stupid things of my life, not just the times when I walk on water, right? Which I haven't done yet. I've done the stupid things, right? Because why? I think we do this with everybody. We put some people up on pedestals that they're super Christians and they no, they're human beings too. They're working out their salvation with fear and trembling. Now, they were all the same amount of righteous, but they may be much holier. Why? Because they've made choices. Holiness is a choice. Righteousness is a, is a one-time thing that the Lord does with the blood of Jesus Christ. He makes us right with God. He makes us righteous. Holiness is something you and I choose every day. We either choose holiness or we choose to walk away from holiness. We either choose to have a lifestyle of repentance and walking without sin or we choose to walk in sin. That's just choice. The reason that some people are holier than others is because they've made choices. You say, yeah, but circumstances, and I didn't have the same breaks. on." No, that, that's modern um, equity mentality, okay? We are all equal in the sight of God, but you choose what you do with that. And when Paul talks about running the race, equity says we're all supposed to finish, cross the finish line at the same time. That's not biblical. It's not pragmatic. It has never existed in humankind. And by the way, still doesn't exist now just because people use a stupid word called equity. We are equal. Now you choose how you're going to run the race. And the reason some people cross uh, the finish line stronger than others is because of how they've run the race. What you do with your life, what you do with God's word, what you do with truth, what you do with your own existence. Do you serve God? Do you say no to sin or do you choose this stuff? You've got, you're the one who makes the decision. He says, begin right here at the temple. So they began by killing the 70 leaders. All 70 of those guys did not detest sin. All 70 of them did not detest sin. What about the 25? You think they made it? Why? Worshiping, they weren't even worshiping God. How are you going to detest sin if you're not even worshiping God? That, that's a major thing for the church today, too. We, have a, we sing a lot of worship songs. We sing a lot of praise songs. But do we really worship God? Because worshiping God is not a song we sing. It's the life we live. A song should express our life. But who, we're, who we are out there in public is whether we're truly worshipers. Because we have to worship God in spirit, which is part of what we do when we're singing. But worshiping in spirit and in truth, that spirit and in truth is much more uh, cogent out in society. At some level, it's almost, I don't want to say that too strongly, 
What we do inside the church is not near as vital as what we do out there, specifically when it comes to worship. Is that Linda? Yes. So a couple things uh, to note. When, when they talk about um, marking, that reminds me of the Passover, right? And then when I see starting with inside the, um, the inner courts, I think of Jesus, right? Jesus encountered so many sinners, but where did you see him actually um, the righteous anger? That was flipping the tables at the temple, yep. right? And a, another, a third comment is as we see, people are going to be having to make a choice. As sin is, as we're being anesthetized, and it's, I mean, it's, to me, it's easy to um, boycott Bud Light, right? It's, it, but when you see the sin in the entertainment, okay, we can, we can boycott that. But it's, it's getting to the point where we're being checkmate. It's going into everything, especially schools. And this is where it's going to be tough because... You get parents or some grandparents that are raising kids that they really don't, they feel like they don't have a choice. And so the kids are being just anesthetized by this garbage. And it's going to be really interesting. I say take, take your kids out of, out of public school or any, any school that receives government funding. You need to get your kids out. Because they're being yeah. indoctrinated. But it's going to be really interesting to see as people are now being impacted by this sin, what they're going to choose. Yeah. And, and you know, I could not have imagined, I could not have imagined embracing that thought 20 years ago. I just, well, public schools are fine, right? Public schools are fine. But, but guys, we have, to, we have to work really hard at this within the church world too. Taking money from the government. Anytime you take money from the government, there, there will be strings attached 100% of the time. Now, the way it's worked out nowadays for churches, it's come to the very last part of this subject. And that is our tax-exempt status. For the church, that's the last thing. We're not taking any government money. We're not doing anything. We have the ability to take care of ourselves. Although a lot of churches did not, op did not stay open, did not open back up quickly, when they did, they masked and they spaced and all this other kind of stuff. Because why? They were scared of the government. Not God, but the government. Well, the last thing that they're going to do is take away our tax exempt status. Because a lot of churches just won't, they won't fight after that. They'll close the doors. Guys, I know lots of churches that have closed the doors already because of COVID. They just closed the doors, couldn't, couldn't deal with it. Close the doors. They don't exist anymore. Couldn't handle it. Well, okay. Whatever. Maybe you should have fought harder. Maybe you should have had different th philosophies. I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't have a lot of patience for that mentality. Well, guess what? When they take away our tax exempt status, we're going to lose a lot of churches at that point, too. We are. Okay? At least church buildings may not lose churches, but we'll lose church buildings. But at some particular point, if we'll just be the people of God, every people group in history has dealt with this. The pressures 
that Satan tries to put on them, either from society or government or wherever, every, every local body has dealt with these things over the centuries. You just you, you um, trim down, uh, you become more agile, and you preach the gospel. Just preach the gospel. The church in China doesn't worry about all this stuff. Church in China isn't worrying about what we're putting on the screens, whether or not it works. In fact, I have heard guys talk about this before, and I think this is a legitimate argument. There's, a, there's churches that I know that don't put the Bible verses on the screens anymore. Any idea why? No. No. That is an issue, though, but no. Yeah, bring your own Bible. We used to have to bring our Bibles. Nowadays, we don't have to. I mean, we have them in our phones and stuff like that, but you just read them off the screen. All right? Actually looking them up, how would I do that? And here's the thing. You've been using your phone for a while. Get out a paper Bible and look something up. You'll be confused for a little bit. I'm saying that for a friend. <laughs> I, don't, I don't use paper Bibles much because I use computer all the time. But I'm not saying we're going to take the Bible off the screen. I'm just saying there's so many things that we think are so vitally important in church that are just not. Just not. Making sure you're cool and cutting edge. I've been telling our staff around here, and before I got here, my last church, I have said this. We will never, ever be the coolest church in town. It's not a goal we have. We have the coolest pastor, but we're not going to have the coolest church because we don't, we don't want those. The things that make you the cool church, we're not going to do. Right? Somewhere it has to come back to just the basics. And I think not just for church, but for our families, for everything is, let's just put Jesus first, put Jesus first, and serve him completely. Was somebody back there going to say something? Yes, sir. Scott, I see a great correlation between what we're reading about in Ezekiel and what's going on in America in this respect. They were living in a culture that had state-sponsored idolatry. Uh, and it was all around them. So it kind of engulfed them. That's what's happening in America. That's exactly what's happening. This is all around us, and it's pressing in, and uh, people are making compromises instead of standing up against it. In these uh, prophets like Ezekiel, you can feel the frustration. They're shouting their message. Nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. Yeah, you know, the biggest transition that we saw from the New Testament church to the, within the first 1,000 years of the church's existence of the New Testament church um, was in, three, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but in 333 A.D. where Constantine, Christianity was illegal up until this time, and Constantine made Christianity legal. Um, actually, in around 300, he made it legal. About, about, about 320, I think, he made it legal. And then in 333, he made it the official religion. And what evolved out of the next 200 years of that is what we see as the Catholic Church going into the Dark Ages, where they're selling forgiveness. They're doing all kinds of stuff that's just completely not biblical. The reason is because 
Christianity became legal. That's not a bad thing. But then it became the state-sponsored religion. You should never, ever have a state-sponsored religion. I believe strongly in, in the separation of church and state. I believe strongly that that means the state stay out of the church's business. It does not mean the church stay out of the state's business. The church is supposed to be in the state's business, but not the state be in the church's business. When you start saying this, you're going to be Christians, you can't regulate that. You can't mandate that. And that's when it becomes um, heresy. Uh, that, that's, I think, I think we're trying to figure this out in America right now, going the other direction. Everybody's doing this separation of church and state, and that was, you know, constitutional and stuff. That's stupid. The, the church, the, the government's just supposed to stay out of the church. That's all, that's all our Constitution says. It doesn't say the church stays out of the state. And when, um, um, oh, the guy that wrote that in the letter to his friend, uh, Thomas Jefferson, when Thomas Jefferson wrote that, he was not saying the church, uh, the church stay out of the state. He was saying that the state needs to leave the church alone. And we're trying to figure this out now in our country. Well, guess what? The more we keep the church out of the government, the more we are sliding down this slope into, into complete darkness and evil. Russell. Yeah, so when it says um, put a mark on those that are weep inside because of the detestable sins, and then it talks about the ones that are doing the sins, I think there's a middle ground there where, um, you know, where Jesus said, you know, if you're hot or cold, that's what, you know, um, make a decision. But if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of the, um, my mouth. Well, the people that are okay with the sins, maybe they're not doing the sins, but they're not um, weeping and sighing against it, are in the same boat as those that are doing the sins. Yeah. So uh, it, it's lukewarmness to me. Yeah. The, the, um, what is the statement that uh, my paraphrase will be? Uh, that, that what makes sure that evil wins is when good men do nothing. Just, just act like you don't care. Stick your head in the sand, and you'll be destroyed in the process. Verse 7, defile the temple, the Lord commanded. Fill its courtyards with corpses. Go. So they went and began killing throughout the city. While they were out killing, I was all alone. I fell face down on the ground and cried, O sovereign Lord, will your fury against Jerusalem wipe out everyone left in Israel? What's the answer to that question? Will your fury wipe out everyone? What about America? Will your fury wipe out everyone in America? No. The answer is no. What did God tell Elijah? There's, there's 7,000 other people, so stop whining. You're not the only one, right? But there's a, there's a confidence booster there for us. Lord, you're, there is a remnant. That, script, that word's used all through the Old Testament. There is a remnant. I will say this. I don't think there's, as, there's near as many people uh, going to go in the rapture as people think there is. Right? Just the, the parable of the ten virgins says there's about half as many as think they are. Right? You guys following me with that? 
train of thought? Okay. Then he said to me, the sins of Israel and Judah are very, very great. The entire land is full of murder. The city is filled with injustice. I've been reading the Gulag Archipelago again, I guess, because I'm, I'm a nihilist. I don't know. But, yes, to, to punish my brain and my spirit. But one of the things about that is he talks about, he says, so he wrote it in about the 70s, 60s, 70s. And he's talking about communism, but he says, you know, it has become socially acceptable to complain about Hitler and the killing of the Jews and the atrocities done by Nazism in World War II. He said, in Russia, who, by the way, killed way more, way, way more, like probably at least three quarters to, to uh, 75 to, to 100% more people, and they were killing their own people. The Russians were killing their own people and putting them in gulags, prisons, all kinds of stuff, torturing people for no reason. A farmer comes in, you torture him to see what he, how he's just tried to work against a communist party. A farmer. And he says in there, it's become okay to attack Nazism. But in Russia, we pretend like nothing's happened and the whole world is going along with us. Now let's bring it right now to America. In America, we're killing our babies by the hundreds of thousands. And we pretend like it's not that big of a deal. That's just what it is. And they said we would never overturn Roe versus Wade. You know who was saying that? About half the pro-life groups were saying that. The church was saying that. And guess what? They were wrong. And we overturn Roe versus Wade. And so when the church says you can't do that or you can't fight against or you shouldn't stand up or it's, it's, it's too big for us to fight or whatever, you can tell them. You can tell them you're wrong. You know why I stand up for some things? Because I dis I'm disgusted by sin and maybe I never win the fight. I've been told that so many times already in the house. You know, because I'm going to run some bills this year that I ran last year and similar ones. And they're like, why are you wasting your time? You know those will never get overturned. Yeah, uh, Roe versus Wade never, was never going to be overturned too. Plus, at the end of the day, I'm going to fight them because it's the right thing to do. And it's wrong to pretend these things are not evil and they're not sin and they're not immoral. I'm going to fight this stuff. Guys, same with you. You're going to fight this stuff. Why? Not because it makes you popular at work, but because you've got to fight this stuff. You have a hand up, Al? I do. Which is it? Yes, what, what you're doing is you're making them stand up against truth and righteousness. You're yeah. making them deny truth and righteousness. They have to sign on the dotted line. That is, that is one of the main reasons I do it. And I will say things in such a way, if you've ever been to the committees where I spoke or anything, I will say it in such a way that they have to disagree with me. They have to. Okay. The entire land is full of murder. The city is filled with injustice. They are saying the Lord doesn't see it. The Lord has abandoned the land. I hear that all the time. Why doesn't God stop this stuff? Well, why don't people stop it? 
Just start with people first. Don't go straight and pick on God. Why does God let all these evil things happen? Because you got evil people doing it. Point to them. They're the problem. So I will not spare them or have pity on them. I will fully repay them for all they have done. Then the man in linen clothing who carried the writer's case reported back and said, I have done as you commanded. We should pray before I get angry. Guys, at the end of the day, you, me, we all have to make this decision ourselves. I can't take a stand for you and you can't take a stand for me. I can't walk in your shoes, you cannot walk in mine. But if you take a stand and I take a stand and the next person takes a stand and we, and we live for the Lord, it's amazing how the Spirit of God begins to move and things change. I was about to give you some statistics, stuff, but I'm going to read them Sunday, so I'll wait till then. But God is doing stuff. We just have to be on his team, not our team, not our church's team. We have to be on his team, all right? God, we thank you for you. We thank you for the amazingness that you are. And that, God, with everything that we do, you are still a God of grace. That, that all the, the justice and judgment and everything that we deserve... Lord, you, you are so full of grace and mercy, and you do not give us what we deserve. Lord, you give us what we don't deserve. And we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your love. And Jesus, I pray for me. I pray for every one of us here. Lord, we repent of anything in our life, any thought process, any mentality, any attitude that is, that is opposing to you. Lord, that we want to, we truly want our hearts to hurt and to grieve because sin is attacking. It's attacking us and it's attacking those around us. Lord, we want to grieve. And Lord, if we get complacent, stir us and convict us and bring us back to repentance. And Lord, help us to repent and, and not let Satan manipulate us and play us. That, Lord, I choose your word. I choose righteousness. I choose to walk in holiness. And I pray that for our whole church, that we, would, that we would truly be on our little hilltop here, that we would truly be a light shining on top of this hill. God, we thank you. We thank you for the amazingness of you. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your grace and your mercy so that we can give this to others. We pray all of this for your glory and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. We'll see you Sunday morning. Bye-bye.